put it after lunch time slot when everybody's dozing off. <laughs> Remember, there is coffee. I'll try not to yell. If I see too many dozing, I'll increase my volume or start, start doing something to, uh, to uh, gather people's attention. This session is so, uh, and I'll probably repeat a few of these things, um, and, and because these concepts that, that John was laying out, and then I'm going to talk through, and Travis, they're all kind of different looks at the same kind of ideas, and so don't doze off if we look, we look at the same verse or the same concept, because I do think there's value as we, 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 we consider what, is, what exactly, here's, John did a great job this morning of talking about our condition, our standing, our identity, um, and we're going to be looking at some other things. From my perspective, and then Travis will lay, add another layer of, of, of finish on all of that. So um, the big idea here is walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And as John mentioned, there's lots of ways to define gospel. At its core, it's, it's the good news. But depending on context, that good news can be about an, a number of subjects. So there's not one paragraph that would describe all that's included in the gospel and when I think about this walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in Philippians, it's talking about this integrated life that is with God at the center, God's mission um, being, um, being central to how we operate, and then also our own uh, experience of community. That's a big piece out of that Philippians 127 verses. How, how, is this, how is this whole dynamic of what it means to be the people of God redeemed played out in our lives and in the world. And, and so we're going to look at that a little bit. I want to just review briefly. Um, while there's a big lag on my slides. Got a, got, got a lot of technology going on here I'm not used to. So i got, I got to give myself about a three-second pause <laughs> there. So the Great Commission. Uh, obviously, this is near and dear to many of us. And again, if for those of you who are maybe newer to our circle, my name is Pat Sokol. I'm one of the... Uh, pastors at Beggar's Gate along with Nathan and the, the team that was helping to lead worship, been involved with this group of churches in various forms for, um, it'll be 40 years this fall. Um, 40 years we've been, been walking together, running together, so it's been a, a, the bulk of my life, the bulk for sure, almost all of my adult life. And uh, so we, we've, we've been doing this game a long time, and at the center of it is this idea. This is kind of what we've rallied around. I found a squeaky spot. Doggone it. <coughs> okay. Um, if you're gritting your teeth going, oh, please make it stop, um, you will distract me because I just don't want, want to be, I don't want that noise to be a distraction to anyone. Um, so, so anyway, this, this idea of the Great Commission, and, and, and by the way, it, it's, it's more than um, just this one verse, and I'd like to just build that out in just a little bit, of, but, but why this is so significant to what it means to be people, people of God, households of God, marriages that are, that are living this out is because there's more there than go, there's more there than make disciples, there's this, there's this whole body life um, orientation to what God is asking for his people to become. And Jesus came and said to them, obviously this is post-resurrection. These are some of his, this is one recorded uh, idea of his last words. This isn't the last thing he said, probably. Uh, at least we couldn't prove that. But after his resurrection, he came back and said five different times in five different ways, this same basic idea that, that okay, now I'm, I'm going to disappear. So this is what I want you guys to be about. And, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm, I am king in my resurrected glory now. I've obeyed the Father perfectly. And now he's granted me the right to run this grand global redemptive process. And this is what I'm commanding you. This is what I'm telling you. This is what's on my heart. This is what I care about. And he says, go, make disciples. And we're going to look at that a little bit because in a variety of ways you can view um, believing and discipleship and so on. I happen to be in a camp. It doesn't matter if we're all exactly on the same page. It just takes a layer of choice out, which for me is significant, but it may not be for you, and that's okay. But God has an outcome. He there, there, doesn't want people to go to heaven with them because disciple is more than a, 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 a standing of justification. It is an orientation towards God. And that's significant to what we're going to be talking about today. It's an attitude and a responsiveness. It is learner. It is follower. 
It's not someone who's been saved by the blood of Jesus. It's more than that. It certainly is that, but it's more than that. Does that make sense? And so that layer is pretty important. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, get them to, to, to associate with the Trinity, teach them to observe. And so there's this way of life that's a part of this disciple making. There's a teaching, there's a way that it, it is our job. If we're going to, to, to have, cooperate with Jesus as he accomplishes global purpose, there is a passing on of a way of life. And then this last reminder here, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There's this connecting piece. There's this presence of God piece. And if any one of those get lost, the going, the, 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 the understanding of this whole life Attachment to Jesus, the teaching, the way, of, the way we obey him, the way we bear his image, the way we bear witness to the world, or this sense of connection with him, our ideas of discipleship can get pretty wacky, okay? So just, just as a general over high-level thing, God's desire has always been since the fall that the whole world would come back into relationship with him. We see this, most of us in the church age, especially in the evangelical world, we, we, we don't see the big story of God and what he started with. Do, it, it, besides those who have taken perspectives, anybody know when the first great commission was given? The very first one? Genesis 12 to Abraham. I'm going to take you, I'm going to make you a great people so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed and redeemed, okay? It's always been on God's heart. This isn't a new thing that Jesus introduced. God's intention has always been that he would create a people that walk with him, that have a pattern of life that bears his image, and that are proclaiming the, the, this great opportunity we have to restore restored and reconciled to the person of God. That's always been on God's heart, okay? All right, here's a couple things that... As we, as we walk through today. So, so we, John did an amazing job, and there's, there's probably a, maybe two or three other facets of our identity you could talk for hours on and just really unpack. But he hit three of the really, really big ones. And, and, and those become motivations for a decision, in my opinion. Why would we do something different? Why would we live a certain way? Well, because of those things. Because of who I am, the, the definition that's given to my present and this glorious future. That's why I should pay attention to what God may want to do in and through me. But it doesn't necessarily unpack the exact, what does he want us to do? What, what is being offered? Those are all things you have, you possess. But for you to actually make this decision day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, to stay in this orientation that I am a disciple, I am, I am loyal, I'm going to honor, my, 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 my allegiance goes to this person, King Jesus, it can be really helpful to just understand what, what is he asking specifically? And what is he offering? What's, the, what's the, the cause and effect? What are we agreeing to when we say, I want to be a disciple? And, and, and if we don't have that clarity, it can become kind of confusion, confusing. So the source of this is what, what, what John lent, laid out this morning. Who are you? We have an identity. You're a delighted in child of God. You have this glorious future. He's got, he's got a plan you're working with. That's who you are. Whose are you? That's another question that's answered in the gospel. He, you are a people for his own possession. And so in light of that, what has God promised you? And that's the question that we would like to, to, to unpack a little bit in this session to just maybe bring clarity to some of your lifelong decisions. If you're in this room, my guess is at least one or the other of you, and probably both of you as couples, have made a decision that we would like to move forward in this idea of being a disciple. My question is, do you know what you're buying into? Are you clear? Because if you're not clear, you may get really troubled and lose heart. If you think you're buying into one thing and God promised something completely different, and by the way, what God has promised, there are good things God has promised, really amazing things God has promised, and there's also realities that he has promised about being his people, that we would consider in our flesh unpleasant. Okay? So, so we need to understand the full breadth of what God has promised so that we can, do, we can make, this, make this decision, what do I, we, we want? And this would be as couples. 
obviously you can't make a we decision until you both make the I decision, but at some point as families, as for me and my house, as, as, as a, a, the head of my household, I can make that decision, but I can't make it for anyone else in my household. I can just promise to try to set things up that this is how we're going to orient, but every person has to make that I decision. And I think that's one of our hopes in all of this, is that you, as, as, as those who are joined to be one flesh, in this very short season of your existence, that you would express a strong desire to be united as one man for the progress of the gospel. That we, you would say our household is going to walk in a manner worthy of the big gospel, the whole story of God, the whole good news of God, and all of its implications, all of its multifaceted ways. Okay? And when you say, what, how do you answer that question? Well, all of us, since we were very young, have answered it the same way. We want to be successable. I mean, that's, that's, that's the idea. That's, that's where we want to go. We want to be, that's, yes, that's what we want. And here's what I see. After following Jesus for about 40 years, in just a couple months, it'll be 40 years since I, I, I bowed my knee, bent my knee, and said, Lord, I want this. I, I, want, I want to receive your gift of life. There's lots of people that make lots of decisions and make, and, and some of them you scratch your head and go, I, I don't think you understood what Jesus promised. I don't, I don't, I don't think you understand the, the consequence of the decision you're making right now. And, 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 and this may sound really stupid, but that troubles me. And sometimes it gets me in trouble because when I see somebody doing something that is so incredibly stupid, I have a hard time just going, yeah, that's great. Great choice. And when I see something, and this is, I may see it imperfectly, for sure, but when I see this amazing thing that God has offered us, and I see people turn and walk away from it, or to count it as small value, first it breaks my heart, then it makes me angry, and then I just kind of can get mouthy and stupid. Because it's so obvious to me. It's so obvious to me. And that's what I decided about 40 years ago, I, I looked at this, this opportunity before, and I go, well, why would any, that would be the dumbest thing in the world. Either there is not a God, and it doesn't matter what you do. There's, there's two choices. Either there is no God, and it does not matter, so do whatever you want, or there is a God, and the only reasonable choice is to throw your lot in there for all the reasons John mentioned about eternity, and there's just thousands, and hopefully we'll see a few others. As we walk through this. So, so if you can think about it. The why you should, you should choose this. Because of all you've been given. And, and the incredible opportunities out before you. But what is being asked? And how can you avoid getting confused? That's what we're going to try to. Maybe just give you some ways to think about. That's, that's all we're going to do. Is just Most of this isn't going to be new. But maybe freshly go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah what was I thinking? Anybody recognize this picture? Anybody know where that is? It's in Honduras. It's the Chulo or Cholo Tika Bridge. Anybody want to guess what happened? <laughs> no, it's actually kind of crazy. Here, here, here's, there's probably a hundred different metaphors that could be, this picture can be used to describe. But one of them is, I just wonder if sometimes as we, as we seek to follow Jesus and understand all these investments we make, trying to make sense of life, trying to build a life that works, and sometimes it doesn't, we can, we can sit back and we can look at our work and go, crap. <laughs> what have I been doing? This isn't what I had in mind at all. This was built in 1930 by the Army Corps of Engineers in Honduras. It's a really, really well-made bridge. Unfortunately, the, the bridge survived, but the river channel did not survive Hurricane Mitch. So the river actually moved. That bridge used to be across a river, but the river moved. And it's hard to move a river back. It's, we, we've been trying to do that a lot in various places and at various times. But just hang on to that metaphor, because, because what, what would break my heart is that any of us, myself included, would spend our lives trying to build something that we think is going to accomplish an intended design goal, and we get to the end and we go, this wasn't it. 
I missed. I, I, I was working on this, and, 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 and I got this outcome that I wasn't counting on. And we can place our hope in those outcomes and, and discover maybe some of the things that we hoped for God never promised. And there's other things that he does promise and we can miss because we, we can kind of get distracted. Now, at some point, again, there's, I think, 60 years difference between when the bridge was completed and the river moved. So it, it had a good, useful life. But, but there's a lot of metaphor in, in how we can be, put our energy into something. You heard it when you, we, we climb the ladder and find out it's against the wrong wall kind of thing. And that's what I, I hope, my hope is that we don't have an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus that leads to an outcome where we go, yeah, this isn't what I signed up for, okay? So, discipleship, it is redemption-focused, and that's really walking in this new identity as participants in understanding and, 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 and resting in that we have a new identity. What, what, what's implied in that, that I think we can lose track of, and this is kind of one of those ideas where we go, I'm, I'm trying to build this thing, and, 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 and it didn't quite work out, is sometimes... We try to embrace pieces of this new gospel identity, this new redeemed identity, while hanging on to things that we like about our old identity. And it's, as, it's a challenge as old as the church, as old as the people of God. We, well, we, of course we want to worship you, Yahweh, and we want a king like our neighbors. I mean, it's just human. We, we don't really settle into and walk into this idea that as a redeemed person, I have a completely new identity. And if I choose this, this moniker, this, this title, this role, this activity, this heart focus of being a disciple, it changes everything. And I'd love for us to understand and keep growing in what does it mean if I say yes to discipleship. And, 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 and here's, I, I, I'm going to, Gently and in no way to detract from what John said, but I'm gonna, I am going to try to bring some balance. Life does work in God. If you have God, life will work. If you define life as God's ordained plan for you. If you hold on to life working, meaning all these circumstantial situations, well, it may not. And that's the great rub. We come to Jesus, I want my life to work. And he goes, great, I'll make your life work. You're going to prison. My life doesn't work. Yes, it does. If we're willing to be that Chinese couple being re-educated for sharing the gospel, your life is working perfectly for God's purposes. And you could not ordain, arrange, bribe a better, fruitful, eternal outcome or experience of God by manipulating your circumstance. You couldn't do it. You think you can, but you can't. If we are willing to walk in this new redeemed identity that our lives are hidden in Christ, if we're really to walk in that, we can have a very different focus. So read this verse here, along with my three-second lag. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Do you believe that? But, and all, all these things... Um, I, I, I think we can be naive about how we um, choose our beliefs. I, I'm of the opinion that you can't choose to believe something. You have to be persuaded of something. Because if, 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 if you're in your heart, you don't think it's going to work, that life is not worth it, as God would define it, you will not believe that it is. Our hearts, our minds, the very deepest parts of us have to be persuaded of the value, of the truth, of the reality. And then guess what? Believing is automatic. Once you become persuaded that your life is hidden in Christ, then you devalue it so quickly. Like, who cares? It's his. He gets to do what he wants. This is a part of what is being offered. You get a new life. But to embrace that life, you have to let go of your old one. You have to let go of your old one. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the way, 20, 40 years ago, this is one of the first two verses I memorized. This was central to me being persuaded that my life was gone. Anything that I wanted to accomplish apart from God was gone. And whatever he was going to do through me was going to be rooted in this fact that my life is hidden in him. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, so one of the first things that we need to understand when we embrace this new identity is that we are participating not in just the identity of Jesus Christ, but what he is doing on the earth. What we want to do, how we want God to bless, whatever it is we're doing is, is dead. It's gone. It's, it's a wrong way of thinking. You need to understand that. And almost every message we hear in modern evangelicalism is, God loves you. That's awesome. It's amazing. We need to understand that. We need to experience that. And he has a plan that he's calling you to. The message you hear, God will bless your plans. God walks with you. God does not walk with you. God calls you to walk with him. Now, in practical reality, as we're walking through life, he is walking with us. But how do we get there? What path are we on? Is it his or ours? It's incredibly comforting. But you know what? You go out, get, jump on a road and start walking, and it's not God's plan for your life. Is there any promise in the scripture that he's walking with you, supporting you, helping you be successful? I'm going to tell you, you can look a hard, long time. There is not. There is this joining together that he's asking for as a disciple that's so important. Will you, the, the, the imagery here, and I just, I'm going to keep reinforcing this. Every strong call to be a disciple can be reworked to be a, a, a wedding proposal. Here's the deal. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you. In order to access that, you have to join your life to mine. You lose your old identity. That's why I, I think just simple things, the simple imagery of, of a wife taking a husband's name is part of the image. Is she less than? No. Is it, lots of cultural reasons why that may be. But, but that's why when I came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, I lost my distinct name. I lost my distinct identity. I have been redeemed. I am now joined to him. When you sign up for discipleship, you lose the right to name yourself and to find what life working is. It's all gone. Will you commit to listening for that bridegroom call? Expressing all that delight, all that love, all that cherishing, and also shepherding to greater and greater faith, to greater and greater obedience. In the context of relationship, not as an ogre, but as one who's trying to draw good out of us. Will, you allow, will we allow him in? Or do we want to see him as the, 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 we would probably all rebuke each other if we saw an icon that we'd say, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my idol over there. I, I come, pat him on the head every day as I leave the, leave the house, hoping for good luck. I'm, I'm hoping that, I, that idol will bless me today as I do whatever I want. I'm fearful we can treat Jesus that way. Lord, what, is, what do you want today? Oh, oh, my glorious bridegroom. Oh, my glorious head. What do you want today? How can I honor you? How can I cooperate with what you're doing? That's what Jesus is asking for. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. A number of you have been through our skills class have seen this. But, but, but here's some of the confusion in, in, our, in our Christian world, our modern Christian world. Uh, we're going to walk through a number of choices. So, so that, that idea of we, we want the good from God, but we don't want the whole package of what it means to be a disciple. And we, we try to stay distinct. And, 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 and so there's really just a number of things. When we open the scriptures and say, Lord, teach me, instruct me, tell me how I should live. There's only one person or one type of person that God is responding to in that. As it's, do this and you will find success. Do this. Well, everything related to the church age is aimed at this one kind of person, and that one kind of person is a disciple. But we think that somehow there, there's this pattern of life where we can disobey God and somehow still find his blessing in all his, his great wisdom in the Scripture. 
Now, is God universally gracious? Do the, does the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous? Absolutely. Is there common grace? Absolutely. But God's focused attention, training, answering, responding, caring for, leading, it's aimed at disciples and only disciples. So if you, if you start parsing people out, you go, okay, so the big question, is there a God? Yes or no? And every human being has to answer that question. Well, if you say yes, then there's things in the Bible that are going to instruct you. If, if you say no, the only thing the Bible is going to say to you as someone who doesn't believe in God is that you should believe in God. And then you start the instruction. He doesn't have instruction. I don't want to believe in you. Help me live a successful life. No, believe in God. And then you will find life. Then, then there's a pathway. But we try to do that, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But wouldn't that be crazy? You've got an atheist friend? Yeah, I, I don't believe in God. I hate his guts, and I hope he blesses me. That's really dumb. You need to believe in God, and that's the only message of the Scripture for someone who does not believe in God is believe in God. Know that he is. Know he is creator. Okay, this is less common now. When I was coming of, of faith and, and my younger adult years, this was a very common thing. People did believe in God, but they rejected him. Yes, there is a God, and I plan on going to hell because I hate his guts. And that was a, that was a way. Now, now it's more far more agnostic, and they assume there isn't a God. But this was a real position, but people do it all the time. The Bible isn't written for someone that reject, rejects him. It's written for those who want to fear him. Yeah, are, are, are the promises and voices come back? Are you with me here? Are we, are we in the post-lunch coma? <laughs> the scriptures are not written to people who just want to reject God. Everything is written to those who want to try to line up and stay in the middle of his will. Okay? So if you fear God, you have two options. And there's only two options. You can trust Jesus and his promise to save you, or you can trust some, your own religion. You can make up your own system. You're free to, or pick one of the many that are on the shelf. It's your choice, but there's only two options. You can trust in your efforts to somehow do something that makes you right with Jesus, or you can trust in what he did. That's it. Those are the two choices. And if you choose to trust in a religion, God says, I have no use for that. There is this is so troubling to people when they say, oh, it so, seems so elitist. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Oh, that's just it's so narrow, it's so elitist. It's really kind because what he's really saying is, no one else is coming for you. Those other things are not going to work. Please heed this. It's here. It's in Jesus. And so in that place, you either get to trust Jesus or trust religion. I, I'd like to be a Hindu and God, the God of the Bible, to bless me. No, no, no. You need, you need to come trust in Jesus. Now, is there common grace? Please, please don't take that too far. God is so gracious that, yes, he blesses people outside the faith. But at that relationship, that understanding, all those promises, all that reward, there's one way to find it. There's one path, and it's through trusting in Jesus. Now, this is, this is the layer of, of, of theology that you may take out. I put it in, okay? I believe you can believe in Jesus and live a worldly life, and you will not lose your salvation. That's where I stand. You made a different place. If you, if you think those are one and the same thing, you can just erase this level, okay? And we won't debate that for today. The focus of what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and, and, and through all that he was saying as the kingdom was coming is this idea of disciple. It's the idea of disciple. Will you follow me? Will you re, be rejoined to me? Will you walk with me? Will, will you be my people? Beginning in, in, in the, the Abrahamic covenant all the way through, will you be my people? I want a people where I can dwell and have, and have relationship and bless and lead that's his goal. And so in the Christian, in the church age, that is a disciple. That is someone who is yielded to Jesus Christ. Here's also where I believe, and, and, and I don't know what you do with this otherwise, but so th this is why this layer is important to me. I think there's a lot of us that have not fully committed to being, li live our lives out as a disciple. 
and we keep holding on to and having affection for and trying to attach to the world system. It doesn't mean we're wicked, awful people. It just means I like the word world system. I like having a good retirement. I like having, you know, safety and security and comfort, and, and I like that. And so if it means I have to leave that, then I don't really want to be a disciple. And this is where it can get confusing because say, I think I want to be a disciple, but I really don't want to leave the world. World system. It's a world system, okay? I'm not saying everybody that's not a disciple is wicked. I'm just saying they're, they're operating in a system that is not in keeping with what it means to be a disciple. And if we're really going to join, if, as for me and my house, there's only one way to find those blessings. There's only one way to orient all those decisions. Is am, Do I see myself? Do I identify as under all, all of my life is under the rule and reign of Christ in, and increasing? Even those things today that are not under the rule and reign of Christ, I want to submit to him as, they, as he exposes them, as he reveals them. All of my life, everything. And so the next real distinction is as disciples. See, up until that point, there's no distinction between men and women. Then as disciples, God says there's a couple of different ways I want you to live this out. This is how I want you to express being a disciple in maleness and femaleness. But it's underneath. So all the commands, all the instruction, all the promises of being a disciple, there is no gender distinction. But walking that out, God says, this is, I have a unique plan for gender in this. And then everything else, everything else that we have to make decisions about, the, the, everything that's commanded about being a disciple will inform our marriage choices, our marriage realities, our career, our kids, our finances, our parenting, Everything is informed by discipleship ideas. Now, what happens is, in, in, at least in modern evangelicalism, is we, we say, I am married, or I have children, or I have a, a, a strong vocation, career, an important career. And then we try to jam in discipleship verses underneath that. Now, does it look different for a 20-year-old college student or a 30-year-old professional single who wants to travel the world and somebody with four kids who's homeschooling? Absolutely. But the call to be disciples is exactly the same. And we can't give ourselves a pass because our station in life or our situation in life is different than what your Peter or Paul or Timothy. We have to find a way to live out those verses those commands, those orientations towards God as his disciples, regardless of our station in life. And there are, it's without excuse. And, and why that's dangerous, we can, we can start falling into, ah, maybe I am a disciple, maybe I'm not. And it gets confusing. And then we miss everything. We don't get the blessing of being a disciple. But we're frustrated because we, we kind of think we should be. And there's, there's a great cost to that. It's this passage here, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. It's pretty all-encompassing. That applies to you. Whether you have lots of kids, you're married, mortgage, it, it applies to you. Jesus says, I need to be the very center. Not an icon on the side, not a necklace around your head. Not a good luck charm you bring out, but I am the center. Okay, a couple ideas. Discipleship. I want you to understand the deal. If you don't want any of these things, then you may want to reconsider your choice to want to be a disciple. You cannot be a disciple and, and be disobedient. You just can't. You can say you want to be, but you, at some point you have to say it is a foregone conclusion. If God gives me something to do, it is my responsibility to do it, not explain why I can't, shouldn't, or won't. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, will you do that perfectly? No. Where it gets dangerous, you will fail. I fail all the time in obedience. But what I never do, never do, is say, God is commanding me this, and I don't have to. It doesn't apply to me. That's where it gets dangerous. I can say I'm scared. I can say it's too hard right now. Lord, help me. Forgive me. I can't obey you right now. I can do lots of things. Under this understanding that it is my responsibility to obey God, what I cannot do, what I cannot do, what I must not do, is say I don't have to. 
we step out of being a disciple at that point. We, we let the world or our flesh or something else define what is appropriate. And there's one definer of what is appropriate for your life, and that is the Lord God Most High, period, as obviously revealed through Scripture. And we can talk ourselves out of obedience because it seems hard. Obviously, common verse, whoops, common verse here, if anyone loves me, he will love my, keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will love him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus establishing the authority of God. And, and there's this idea that we can, we can come in our, in our world. It's like, Jesus is honored if I love him a little, if I obey him mostly. That I'm doing pretty good, but I'm really holding back my heart and my affection and my obedience. And somehow we settle in. And again, I can, I can wrestle with those thoughts. I'm, it's very human. I'm just going to also say it's really wrong. That somehow, he asked me to do this and this. I did this. See, isn't that good? And God says, no. No, sorry, that's not good. You have not let your life be hidden in me yet. I have so much more to give you. So much more of me to reveal to you. But I can't do it with you trying to wrestle the control stick of this plane. Keep your hands off it and let me be God. Okay. Will we like it? Eventually, yes, we will. In the short term, maybe not so much. But you will not lose by giving God that control and granting him that authority in your life. I'm going to skip these. <coughs> Pretty sure. I'm going to teach one message for three hours instead of three <coughs> Uh, discipleship, relational outcome. Here, here's a, I, I don't know if this is a universal experience. I would just say it's a common experience that for the last hundred years or so, the, the idea of discipleship was mostly intellectual. You have to know things. Hopefully you would do things because you know things, but the, but the, the cherry on top is we need to know things. And from that knowing, doing and at the very core of what it means to be a disciple is we are with Jesus. What, what I think uh, Nathan was sharing that verse. I can't remember if it was Nathan or Joel, but somebody was sharing the verse. It's better. It's better that Jesus goes away so that we all get the Spirit. That is a fundamental understanding. We have to understand this is there's a relation relational focus to this walking with God. Abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing without that relational understanding. So, so this is where it gets dangerous. This is where you need to understand the deal. Because if you think, okay, I know this, I know this, I'm checking my boxes, I'm done. Okay, now I'm going to go live my life. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm getting in your grill. I want your affections. I want everything. I want everything about you. I want to know it. I want to rule it. I want to bless who you are. I want to boil out all the crap that's keeping you from having a relationship with me and trusting me. I want in. I want to fill you with all the fullness of God. What does that mean? Oh my, that sounds painful. I got a lot of me in there. Needs to get out of the way. If Jesus is going to fill me up with him, that's the process. And it's a relationship. It's not about redo, redo, redo. It is this connection place where Jesus makes his home in your heart. And it's very different. Go through this. What do you want? Remember the questions. Who am I? Whose am I? What do I want? Here's the question I'd like you to wrestle with. And, and, and to, to think deeply. Write this down. Think about it later. When you have more time to think. Why do you do the things that you do in the, that are Christian? Going to church. Reading your Bible. Praying. Maybe even sharing your faith. Why do you do them? What is your hope? What's the outcome? I mean, hopefully you have one, even if it's a bad one. Don't ever do anything for no reason. Well, you told me to. Okay. No! You've got to have something you want. There's, every choice we make, there has to be something of value that we make an investment in. Why do you do those things? And then what is your one thing? And here's, here's I'd just love for you to, to reflect on this a little bit. If you could have 
all of these things, if you could have all of those things, if life could work like that, but you did not have any sense of connection or relationship with God in this life, in this life, you can still have eternity. You still get eternity. Just say there's, you know, the, the debt's been paid, but you don't have to talk to Jesus again or walk with him or anything else until you see him in eternity. He has no call on your life, no orientation. Or you can have these things. What do you pick? And I know you all know the right answer. But is that really why you do things? Do you really understand what it means to be a disciple? That the goal is not making life work, but is somehow being reconciled to the creator of the universe in such a way that he fills us with all the fullness of him and gives us the fullness of life and abundant joy and meaning and purpose and comfort. And all the relational things that are in the gospel of relationship with God. That's real. That's real. And, 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 and so, so we can get confused. When we, we, we want the good life. We want the, not even the good life. The life that works. I'm not saying we're greedy or we want you know, a, a private island. Though you can get one for about 100,000 bucks off of Belize. You can buy your own island. <coughs> Just saying. <coughs> if that is your idea of the good life, you can own it. Um. What are we pursuing and why? What are we pursuing and why? Do we understand what God is offering? He has not offered you a life that works. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture has God ever offered you a life that works. He has offered you Himself. Lo, I am with you always. That's what being a disciple is. So you compare those two things. Oh wow, that's a kind of a no-brainer if, if you don't have a kingdom mindset. If you, don't, if you don't see Jesus as the ultimate value of connection with the Trinity as the ultimate value, there, there's a big choice. And I just want to remind us, this is, it's here all the time. But, but this is one of those places we can start building the bridge, put a lot of energy in making life work. And then we go over and pat the idol on the, on the belly or on the head. Say, thank you, Jesus, you're blessing what I'm doing. Thank you, Jesus, you're blessing what I'm doing. And then we find out what we're doing doesn't actually do anything. And we have a bridge over a, a stretch of sand. And you go, I thought you said this was going to work. And he goes, yeah, no, I, not one me. One me. I, 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 you stopped asking me a long time ago. Why didn't you stop me? I, I, I tried. You're busy building a bridge to nowhere. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And Dean, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Eternity? What? Eternal reward? No. We just don't get it. He really is worth it. And we don't know it because we don't slow down in a rat killing long enough to look out and actually connect with them. Oh. Whoa. You really are that amazing. Oh, you did that for me. Thank you. No, you are really that amazing. And it takes a diligence of pursuing that level of connection to actually find him. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul made the decision. And count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ, not what Christ does. The person of God, this is a relational call. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That sounds awful. Do you understand that's a promise of discipleship? If you don't sign up for that, don't sign up. Because you'll get confused and you'll wonder why the river moved. And you'll get mad at God. We have to understand. 
It's all a part of it because God is just, he's lost. Well, you're just living in a fallen world. <laughs> no, actually, that's not why he does it. It's part of his strategy for us, his people, to continue to express his role as suffering servant. That's why you suffer, period. Sure, you live in a fallen world. You might get cancer, and that's awful. My mom died of breast cancer. That is not a small thing to me. So if it sounds casual, it is not. It's painful. I can't change that, but I can participate in my suffering knowing that God is going to use it as part of my testimony that his kingdom, his value, his person, his way, his redemption is worth it so that you may live, world. And I will walk as a suffering servant as my king walked. Will it hurt? Yes. But grace abounds all the more. You got to know what you're signing up for. I press on toward the goal of the prize of upward call of Christ. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's this, this call here. It's not enough to know God loves you intellectually. To finish the race as a disciple. It's just not going to be enough. I've been doing this 40 years. It won't be enough. You will either quit running, quit believing, or quit trying if you do not find your treasure in the person of God. Now, you may fake it to the end. Hallelujah. This is part of the deal, and it's glorious. Far better to suffer for the sake of the name because if we do live in a fallen world and everybody's suffering, I have a reason for mine. And it's missional and kingdom expansing that the nations may believe. That's why I suffer. I'm filling up the ministry of Jesus. I'm going to skip this one. There's a lot here. I want to get to this one. You only need about 20 minutes, right, Travis? Okay, we've talked about it a little bit. Just, just the, the promise of Jesus, we won't read all of this. That there's this kingdom that was promised through the Davidic covenant that there would be a king and a kingdom that would reign forever. And this was um, out of the, as, as it was being delivered to Mary in a fulfillment of that. And here's our, here's our promise in this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, and, and this is where I'm going to diverge a little bit or take a slightly different focus. John's emphasis was on the kingdom to come. I want to talk about the kingdom that is. I want to talk about the kingdom that is present. When you read through the, the scriptures, Jesus was saying, it's here, it's here, it's here. Now, do we know it's not fully here and all the cool reward and the string that goes to Pluto, whatever? That's, it's not, that's the part's not here. But there is a king and there is a kingdom and what determines that is where we get to walk in. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Okay, that sounds painful. He's introducing a different kingdom economic policy. Okay? He starts laying stuff out. You may or may not like our economic policy. If you ever go to another country where they have no economic policy, you may not complain about ours quite so much. Jesus is introducing kingdom patterns, kingdom rules. This is the way it's going to be in my kingdom. You don't get to live in two worlds. You either embrace my kingdom economic policy or you are not a good faithful servant of the kingdom. And that's what it means to be a disciple. We understand and embrace this new identity, this new king, this new governance, this new pattern of thinking and living and choices that we make. It's all different. And if we try to stand in a place where, where we, we, we want to join, but we don't really want to join, we will never get it. We'll never walk as a disciple. And we'll look down at our bridge and, and go, what happened to my life? I thought I knew what was happening because we, we, we miss it. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's the, the, this story of the kingdom. Anybody have a 401k? It's good sound reasoning, right? Is Jesus Lord of that? Can he tell you to sell it? 
I want you to move to China, stand on a street corner, and proclaim my name. With or without hand sanitizer. <laughs> will you obey him? Or will we be like the rich young ruler? Oh, no, no, I, I have much to lose. Now, is he going to do that? I don't know. I have a feeling he might do that a lot more the next decade. Ask people to give up far more. We're, we're leaving Camelot. And I would trace it to 2002 where I said, okay, something has changed. There's a kingdom shift. And it was palpable. You can't have it all anymore in America. We're going to have to make those kind of choices. Will we yield to the kingdom? This is the metaphor I love. I don't know if this will be helpful or not. You might think it's goofy. So, obviously we're not going to leave this world. But we leave the world system. And, 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 and so, so, so Jesus is the captain of this new ship, and it's mobile. It has no geo, geopolitical boundaries, and so I love the idea of a ship. It just moves. It, it floats. It's free. It's not tied to any landmass. It's not, it's not um, rigid. It's very, very fluid. And, and, and he says, come, be a part of my kingdom. And it's this ship, and it floats all over the world. It flows in, into unreached people groups, and it flows into every socioeconomic situation. And, the, and this ship called the kingdom of God floats around under the headship of Jesus, and they show up and things happen that are of the kingdom. And we, he, he pulls up to our dock, wherever it is, where we're standing, and he says, come, jump into the kingdom. And we go, that's really attractive. Why don't you tell me what the kingdom's like? I'll just do it here. And I want to hang on to my, my solid little world process. Or, or even worse, we say, you know what? Come a little closer. All right, just stay right there. I, I, all right, I can keep one foot in both. Don't go anywhere or I'm in trouble. And we, 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 we don't just actually get in the stinking boat. And then let him be responsible. No, no, no. Oh, that looks so good. Oh, those promises look so good. Oh, he's probably worth it. Can't really see it right now because I'm counting my money or whatever is my thing. Can I stay here and be your disciple? No. No, you can't. You, you, you just can't. You got to jump in here. The boat may never move, but your orientation is completely different at that point. He's the captain of everything. He's the captain of everything. The kingdom is a self-contained entity. And obviously there's a future. There's a different economy, different ways of thinking, different currency. We have to leave the safety of the dock of the world we know. That all that makes sense in our worldly system and say, I entrust myself to you. And a, a number of things come up in this. Living in the kingdom is a series of covenants. Or just sacred agreements. There is a relational covenant. There is an economic covenant. Covenant of affections. Covenant of roles. Covenant of identity. All those things are found in this kingdom. Identity. He wants them all. So that he can be fully known. Here's what I'd love for you to think about. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So this idea of reward, this investment, and John was talking about it, and it's just a little different angle than he took. Um, does anybody have a $20 bill in their pocket? And, and can I use it? I, I will not keep it. <laughs> Debit card's fine. <laughs> As long as you include your passcode. <laughs> or a hundred, anything more than a twenty. Okay. I got a twenty dollar bill. Anybody got a one? There's a one? Will you trade me for this twenty? Okay, thank you. Was that in any way sacrificial? No. Was it hard to pull it out and go, hmm, I wonder if this is by the way, I didn't say you were getting it back. I just said I wouldn't keep it. <laughs> and I did not lie. We can be so cheap. 
about the things that we count is so precious. If I laid down my whole life for 85 years, I doubt I'll even make it that long. And I gave it all to Jesus. It would, I would still be trading nothing for everything. At what point is that a sacrifice? It is an investment. Now, to our flesh, I understand it's, it's hard for our flesh. But we have to think like investors. What small thing can I invest to gain a hundredfold return in the kingdom of God? And urge us to be thinking about that. Even your children. Even your vocations. This is how real this is to me. I, I, have, I have promises that I'm asking God for 30, 60, or 100-fold based on the investments that I make. Lord, I expect to see a 30-fold investment. And in, in the moment when I said, Lord, I need a 60-fold investment on this one. Or a return. It governs my whole life. I don't own anything. I manage a few things. And we've lived in really nice places and we lived in awful places. Will you be a kingdom investor? Investment in the kingdom identity. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Can, can we just start the Lord's Prayer together? Uh, King, the old King James Version that's in all the movies. So we don't have a fight between the Presbyterians and the Lutherans. I don't know which words you <laughs> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Stop. Next line. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. Are you committed to that? I mean, it's not Jesus. That's, he was, obviously, he wanted his people to be committed to those concepts. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Now, if his people, who he saved, who he's rewarding, who he delights in, will not bring his kingdom how is the kingdom ever going to come? Think it's just going to magically show up? If those people who say, you are my king, don't live like you are my king, is the kingdom ever going to come? Will you ever build bridges that make sense? Will your household ever be a place where you can say, as for me and this place, this little patch of real estate, beginning with this little three-foot circle of planet me, you are king. And I operate by the rules of your currency, your legal stuff, your agenda, your diplomatic plans. I am submitted to that. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's about the kingdom. And Jesus getting what he deserves. Please also understand, we all do it imperfectly. But if we don't stop and reorient and say, yes, I'm into that. That's where I'm going. And it may take you years to obey hard things that God asks you to do. And you keep saying, yes, Lord, help me. Help me in my unbelief. Help me, Lord, obey you. Help me, Lord. I want you to be king. And I want your kingdom to come. Do you want the kingdom to come? By the way, I, just another little theological thing. Matthew 24, 14 says, until the whole earth has heard the gospel, he ain't coming. So part of the kingdom job is to finish the task of proclaiming the gospel to the nations. If we don't do that, he ain't coming. That's, this just couldn't be any clearer. That's not going to sneak up. He might sneak up after all the nations have heard. But we have a task, and that's part of our kingdom identity. And you don't get a pass because you're married with 12 kids. You don't get a pass. You are a disciple if you buy into that. And you have a role and a call to go and make disciples. Teach them to be the people of God. And stay connected to Jesus as you do it. Great reasons to buy into that.
But I want you to understand the deal. And that's the deal. He is king and there is no other, including you. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for redeeming us, for solving every problem, for sending Jesus. Jesus, we, we, we do acknowledge you as king. I, I pray, Lord, you just continue to refine and remove areas of my life where I resist you, where I think I or the world or my wife or my family would be better served if I took control. Lord, you are so much better at controlling and managing the world than I am. Refresh us and help us to be sober. We are supposed to be a peculiar people. And as the world looks at us, they're supposed to see you. You as suffering servant. You as one who is delights in connection and care for one another. Let that bear witness that you are king of us, king of our households. In Jesus' name, amen.